Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith. We are also 103.9 on your FM dial. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. Um, And if you want to help Joe and I, please uh, if you go to thefrontlinetv.com, thefrontlinetv.com, you could sub- sub- uh, subscribe to us there. You not only get Joe and Joe, but a lot of other great content. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Dr. Stephen Christie, and we're going to be talking about his new book, Speaking for the Unborn, 30-Second Pro-Life Rebuttals to Pro-Choice Arguments. Now, some of you out there at our Veritas audience might be familiar with Dr. Christie. However... If you're not, I have a quick bio, excuse me. Uh, Dr. Stephen Christie is a physician specializing in oncologic radiology and body imaging. He is a diplomat of the American Board of Radiology. He is also an attorney and member of the Florida Bar. Aside from his medical and legal work, Dr. Christie also lectures regularly on Catholic social issues, particularly marriage, family and the dignity of life he and his wife dr gracie christie live in the miami area and are the proud parents of five children now this is what the most reverend jose archbishop jose gomez of los angeles had to say say about dr stephen christie's book quote stephen christie has given us a solid practical how-to manual for speaking with charity and compassion about one of the most complicated and emotional issues as pope francis says Among the vulnerable for whom the church wishes to care with particular love and concern are unborn children, the most defenseless and innocent among us. This book will help us in our care and defense of the most vulnerable as we seek to build a culture that cherishes the holiness and beauty of human life and a society where it is easier for people to love and to raise families. Close quote. Dr. Stephen Christie, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Great to be with you both. Getting into the breach here. There you go. I love it. Love it. Joe Resinello, I'm handing it over to you. Doc, we always begin with a prayer because all good things start with the prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, but for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Steve, I'll tell you, I mean, Joe and I have been doing this for quite some time, and we get to meet wonderful people, and uh, you're one of them. Um, And what really impressed me, we talk a lot uh, to people who are obviously pro-life, and, you know, you have some heavy hitters recommending this book. I mean, I actually was blown away. I mean, you uh, you know, we, we just read one of them from Archbishop Gomez in L.A., but that says a lot because, you know, these are serious people um, and, you, you know, you got their notice. So I, I say that to our listeners. This is a book you should get. Um, because the church recognizes it and, you know, and this is very important. So I think a good place to start, Steve, is like, you know, why'd you write the book? I mean, obviously we're in the, you know, the fight for life. Um, and why is it unique, the book? I'm sure it has a unique twist. Could you just break that down for us? Sure, sure. Um, I guess the, the pithy answer why I wrote the book is, is, is there are really 62 million reasons why I wrote the book, right? 62 million abortions in the U.S. alone since Roe. Um, and to put in that perspective, it's more than the populations of California and New York combined. 
And if what's you know being aborted isn't alive, is not human, then I guess it doesn't matter. But if these abortions are of living human beings, then we've killed 62 million children. And, and really, that's why I wrote the book. I guess I also wrote the book because, and I really do believe this, that the pro-life cause is a winning one. And we have to be able to articulate our, our really powerful reasons to anyone who asks us. And simply knowing, you know, like we do, that abortion is wrong, well, that's great, but it's, it's not enough to sustain a movement. And so over the years, I'd stumbled across so many wonderful pro-life arguments, as I'm sure you both have. And I thought it really was time to organize them, compile them, and edit them into one source, and then present them in a really user-friendly format. So you can actually use these, you know, rebuttals in real-life circumstances. Um, I think what's unique about the book, I guess, is sort of two things. One is, is sort of the structure and scope of the book itself, and I guess the other is the perspective from which I write. Um, the book itself, I really, it's really the only handbook of its kind that presents these 30-second rebuttals to every pro-choice argument. You know, um, there are some fantastic pro-life books out there, and I really depended on them for writing my book, Randy Alcorn's in particular, which is the Bible for me. I think it's a, the pro-life movement. It's a fantastic, amazing book. But these are concise rebuttals uh, that anybody can use uh, in real-life discussions. And I guess the other thing is the perspective from which I write. Um, you know, as a physician, I've studied science and embryology. And as a lawyer, you know, I've studied the law and the Constitution. And as a father of five, you know, and I'm careful to say this in front of women, but I, I, I feel like I do know a little bit about babies and pregnancy. And as a husband of 25 years, you know, I, I've seen the women, and my wife is a physician, so I've seen the women, the, the, the challenges women face in the struggle balancing their career and family life. But what I think makes me most qualified to speak on the issue and what makes me most unique is the fact that I spent the first 30 years or so of my life as a secular pro-choice liberal. So I know exactly what, why, and how the other side thinks about abortion. And having lived in both the pro-choice and the pro-life worlds, I, I have a fairly unique vantage point from which to analyze this debate. I like to say when I was pro-choice, I learned the arguments. But when I became pro-life, I learned the truth. And that book is the, this book is that truth. And, and as you can see, I talk too much, so I'll be quiet. No, 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 Dr. <laughs> no, that's Dr. Great. Stephen Christie, this is your platform, brother. <laughs> um, I mean, listen, Joe and I, we're a couple of laymen. Our PhDs on the wall are in common sense. Um, and, you know, I'm not blowing smoke, but the fact is you are a doctor, you are a lawyer. Um, and what you say on these things, particularly when it comes to, you know, wanting to, let's say you, you mentioned winning the argument. We are winning the argument, okay? The country is turning. At least people are being more bold um, and 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 outward in the public square about their opposition to abortion. We're with Stephen Christie at the front line with Joe and Joe, Dr. Stephen Christie at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Let me ask you this, um, Stephen. Joe and I say all the time, see, I want to I want to know where what your target is, because as someone who knows the law and knows the Constitution, I had this conversation with a um, a, a pro-life witness uh, down in front of Greater Planned Parenthood of New York. I used to go down there um, every Saturday before the front line with Joe and Joe. Now, Saturday mornings, I'm, I'm stuck with this guy and <laughs> we're doing interviews. Um, and again, we, I, I try to witness in that way. But having said that, uh, one of the conversations we got into was we've won every argument. We've won the, the legal. I mean, the, 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 the arguments that have been made um, on every single level, scientific uh, or biological, let's say legal, moral, no matter what, what argument you take. All right. We've won that argument. There's, they don't have an argument. And I talk about the pro-death side. They don't have an argument. Is your book designed to convert individual people? Is it designed to give us a more arguments when it comes to the political arena or the judicial arena? Who is the target for the book? Who are we trying to convince? Sure. So, so in the book, I have a little section on strategy before you get into the actual arguments. And, and I, I point out that most of us are not going to be, you know, Ben Shapiro's out in, you know, giant public arenas duking it out. Um, and very few of us are going to be legislators, you know, changing the laws or, or appellate justice, you know, appellate lawyers in uh, courtrooms fighting for this cause. But, but, you know, each of us has a critical role to play. And our jobs, and this is what, the book, what I say in the book, is to open the hearts and minds of the people we encounter in the ordinary course of our everyday lives with our families and our, our friends and our coworkers. It's really one heart at a time. It's, it, um, <clears throat> forgive my cough here. Um, I, I really, I think, as you said, we've won the arguments, but we're not articulating them well to, to people. So you might know the arguments and, and because I put this book together, I now know the arguments, but when you're actually confronted with 
some of the standard cliches that are thrown at you, I've learned that, you know, most people really can't articulate the pro-life position. They say, gosh, abortion is wrong, but, but we have to actually be able to refute all of the arguments. You know, the, the pro-life, I'm sorry, the pro-choice movement, you know, survives on cliches and rhetorical deception uh, and personal attacks. But if we're not ready to rebut those three things, we're not doing, we're not doing our cause a great service here. So uh, yes, we have won them, but if we don't articulate these winning points, we're not doing our job. I like the fact that Dr. Stephen Christie, who's joining us at the front line, said, you know, we have to do this one heart at a time. Um, you know, I'm one of those people, you know, I got my head in the clouds, Doc. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'm going to change the world with Joe Russinello. We're going to we're going to do you know what? We might be dead before abortion is dead in this country. You know, it might be 30, 40 years more before this country finally wakes up as it did with it. It had to with slavery um, before it wakes up and finally abolishes abortion. But I love what you said. One heart at a time. Your book, all right, is going to go a long way into helping us, particularly as Catholics, uh, to do that. So with that, I'm going to hand it back over to Joe. Steve, before we get into some of those arguments, because I think it's important to talk about them, I want to touch on something that you said. You were once pro-choice. What changed your mind? I mean, clearly, you're a man of science. And science, I think this is one of the reasons why we're winning the debate now. I mean, I have five kids, too. I've had the sonograms done. You look at the baby. I mean, like, you don't have to go to med school to know that it's a kid. So, I mean, like, but you changed. What was the reason? Like, what was the point that made you all of a sudden the switch flip? Sure. So I grew up in a secular, progressive household. Uh, I grew up an atheist. I went to a very pricey, progressive high school, very fancy, uh, where it was understood that if you were educated, if you were sophisticated, if you were a thinker, you were obviously pro-choice. We actually never thought about why, but it was obvious you were pro-choice. And conversely, pro-lifers like you, Joe, were clearly uneducated. You were non-thinking. You were backwards, and you were probably an intolerant Jesus freak. And even when I got to medical school, which was after law school for me, if you'd asked me why I was pro-choice, I couldn't have been able to tell you anything. I might have thrown out a cliche, you know, oh, my body, my choice, or I might have given you a personal attack and called you a misogynist, but I couldn't articulate why uh, I was pro-choice, which says a lot about the movement, right? And what changed me in a word, I guess, is, is truth. So in medical school, as you said, you actually study science and the facts about science. You study what is life and embryology, and then you actually see physically in your hands embryos and fetuses. And, you know, as Shakespeare says, the truth will out. And, you know, medical school, you learn there's actually a definition of life. Look at that, a definition of life. And that it's not a matter of philosophy. It's not a matter of religion. It's not a matter of politics. What is alive is a purely scientific question that science is fully answered. And it's spelled out in every embryology book, every uh, biology textbook used in every medical school the world over. And for me, I'm sorry, I have to cough. I apologize. And for me... That was actually, uh, it's kind of strange, but there was actually a precise moment that changed me. Um, and and in- interestingly, I also converted, and I don't usually, by the way, in, in my pro-life work, I don't, I don't mix religion and pro-life, which is another topic we can talk about. Um, but at this, there was a parallel track of me converting slowly to Catholicism as well. But this moment that where I was changed from pro-choice to pro-life, I was, I was in the anatomy labs and I met my wife in medical school at the time. We were both in an, had taken this anatomy class and there was an ante room off of the anatomy lab that nobody goes into. It had extra chairs thrown on the floor, you know, a little storage area covered in dust. And there was a cabinet in that room. And I walked over to the cabinet, which is sort of turned backwards. And I look on the shelves and there are these jars with formaldehyde in them and, and fetuses in various stages of de- development and embryos. And clearly this cabinet had not been seen in years. It was disheveled, covered in dust. The lights were burnt out in this display cabinet. And I was, I kept staring at them and I was, I began feeling horrified that these babies were being displayed so irreverently, um, you know, forgotten for so many years in this dust covered cabinet. So the next day I, I sort of hunted down the embryology professor who was a great teacher. And I confessed to her, I privately said to her, you know, how, uh, how deeply affected I was by this irreverence with which these babies were being treated. And I used the word babies when I was talking to her. 
And she immediately grew agitated and angry and literally yelled at me. She said, they are not babies. They were never babies. They were never alive. They're nothing more than fetuses. I mean, she's yelling at me. And, and again, you know, Shakespeare shot into my head from Hamlet, you know, the lady doth protest too much. Mm. And that was, and that was it for me. That moment, I knew the truth. And, and interestingly, I knew she knew the truth as well. And, and that was the big ch- shift in my life. And then I, you know, continued through medical school, I actually initially trained as an OBGYN before switching to my, my, my current career, where women will miscarry. And you're actually, you hold in your hand a dying embryo and a dying fetus, and the truth in your hands, you can't, you can't ever ignore. Dr. Stephen Christie is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio <laughs> Network. And we are discussing his new book, Speaking for the Unborn, 30-second pro-life rebuttals to pro-choice arguments. You know what struck me, Stephen, in the story you just told is the anger on the other side. Okay, see, we've all been to pro-life witnesses, prayerful, praying the rosary, uh, try with the you know the the, the workers there the the uh, trying to talk the counselors the sidewalk counselors the anger that caught me you know I've been in situations okay and I'm in the rear with the gear doc I'm you know don't get me wrong I show up to pray the rosary and then I go home because you know I for for a variety of reasons those people anger me but it's but it's because of their mocking and stuff but that's another question but I've seen their anger straight up right in my face and that's when you know you're on the right side of things. That's when you know when when you see that anger that 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 embryologist showed to you. You got to see yourself. Why are you getting so angry at the truth? Why are you know they know? This is the point of my little rant here. They know it's the truth. That's my yeah. argument. Maybe not every individual person. I'm not I'm not being judgmental of every individual person. I'm not talking about the people. Many times, not all, not all the time, but many times, the women who are going in for the abortion, they've been lied to. I'm talking about the people who fight the legal fight and the political fight on this. They know that they're full of you know what, and all of their arguments fail. And that's when they resort to the anger. Would you agree? Absolutely. You know, I I um, you know, we're in order to maintain these cliches, the deception and the personal attacks that their, their philosophies rely on, it takes great effort. It takes great effort. And I always, I always, always think of those three monkeys, you know, the, but they're covering their eyes and their ears and the mouth, this, the see no evil, hear no evil and speak no evil. Um, and, and, you know, we're real fighting the results of 60 years of the sexual revolution. You know, the sexual revolution taught us to unmoor sex from marriage and family and that sex outside of marriage was liberating. It was empowering. It was, you know, wonderful and completely without consequences, you know, and then, it, then you know, it somehow shockingly turns out there were some serious consequences, right? Um, we had these surgeon unwanted pregnancies outside the safety net of marriage. And so we, these, you know, sexual revolutionaries had two options, right? They could, they could do what you and I would have done. We would have said, hey, you know, this experiment of ours backfired. And then you return to our traditional values, our traditional mores, or you are stuck with these angry people, right? They, they could just, the other option is, well, just, I guess, just get rid of those darn pregnancies, right? Mm-hmm. And we know what side they pick because now... Yeah, I'm sure this is all over your show, sex and sexual identity and sexual self-expression and now this sexual fluidity nonsense are the hallmarks of today's modern culture. And the only way to get rid of those pregnancies is to pretend they didn't exist, those monkeys, right? To be blind to the truth. Um, so you, you don't, you never, these are just, you know, you don't see, the, you don't see these truths that, that are in front of your eyes. To be deaf to the truth, you don't, you know, these, uh, when you see the, hear the heartbeat of the baby now, the New York Times calls them what, embryonic pulsations, and you never, ever speak the truth. It's, it's always rhetorical deceptions. It's the clumps of cells. It's, it's women, it's clinicians at Planned Parenthood saying, you know, we can, we can make you become unpregnant. Um, yeah, and un- it's so- unpregnant like that, yeah. mean, like, like, like that. Yeah. Means or, 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 wanna- we can, or, or we can restore your, or we can restore your period. Right. Um, yeah. 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 And, yeah. And, I mean, listen, you- the bizarro world that we live in right now, Dr. Stephen Christie is, is like, you're really kind of like just, you know, you have to hit your forehead and just say, what the heck is going on? I do want to say one thing though, before I hand it back sure, to sure. Sinello, Dr. Stephen Christie is that those people that you always hear on all these issues, whether it's abortion, transgenderism, gay marriage, like, why can't you just, 
just be happy for people. That comes out of the mouth of the most angry people you've ever met in your life. Absolutely. Like, I'm very happy because you're the one that's all grumpy and angry. Anyway, I want to hand it over to Joe. Well, <clears throat> I want to also continue on this because I think it's important. You talked about that encounter at med school. Now you're dealing with incredibly intelligent people. I'm sure that professor was very smart, but yet she wouldn't connect the the dots i mean it's two plus two is four i mean i want to first say it takes a lot of humility to do what you did that's an issue here people can't say i was wrong that's number one number two people build up walls they simply build up walls and this is where i think francis is spot on it's love that breaks the wall you see love we have to love them you know, that's how it works. Talk about that. And then I want to get into your most convincing pro-life argument. Sure, sure. You know, the, the classic Catholic, you know, definition of love, willing the good of, of the other for their sake. Um, and, you know, when we talk about, in, in the book, we talk about the strategies, the where we speak, and we talked about that, you know, in the ordinary course of our daily lives and, and how we speak. So, again, if you're if we're talking about love, you know, the, the other side is angry, but we, we're, we're trying to win hearts and we can only do that. We can't do that with a stick in the eye. You know, we get, ang I get angry all the time, but our goal is not to stick somebody in the, in the eye. It's to win their hearts. So we have to speak charitably. We have to speak um, intelligently. We have to speak compassionately and we have to be mindful. A lot of times with, with women that we're speaking with, you know, the number that's thrown out and it probably is fairly accurate is, is 25% of women in this country have already had an abortion. And those women, you know, suffer uh, and we have to be compassionate with them. And, you know, yelling baby killer, as some people do to them, is cruel and unchristian, uh, but it defeats our purpose. It defeats our purpose. We're here to win hearts. And, you know, Lord knows I've made a lot of really bad mistakes in my life. You know, you said it takes a lot of humility. In my case, it's, it's fairly easy because I'm wrong all the time. And the older I get, the more often I realize I'm wrong. Um, that means and, you're holy, you know, Stephen. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm working at it. I'm working at it. But and I have a good wife to keep me in line. Thank God. Um, but when somebody's, you know, been standing their ground and dug in on the on the pro-choice side for years and years, it's very hard to, to all of a sudden, you know, realize that you're wrong and lower your defenses and admit it. And that's why I always say there's you know, when we're, when we're talking with somebody, the goal, you know, for, for instance, I came from a secular atheist family and I'm, I'm very close with everybody in my family, with my parents who are not pro-life. And when I'm talking with my, my best friends or my, my family, I, the words I'm always hoping to hear during the discussion are not, oh, wow, that's a great argument. I'm now suddenly pro-life. It's unrealistic. That'd be great. But that's unrealistic. But the words I'm always hoping to hear go something like this. Hey, Steve, you know, that's interesting. I'd never really thought about it that way before. And for me, that's the sound of the heart opening up to the truth. And that's when we allow somebody, you know, to, to change their minds without sticking them in the eye. Oh, you were wrong. I told you so. Those are, those are words that aren't helpful to them, uh, to babies and to our cause. So, so you're right. It is love. It's, it's willing the good of the other for their sake, um, and which is ultimately for all our sake. Well, I, I, I mean, amen. And, and, and as I said earlier, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen that love and that compassion come through, uh, particularly, you know, uh, groups like the Sisters of Life um, and others, particularly within the church, pro-life witnesses um, on those sidewalks in front of Planned Parenthood. They're not, they're not doing that, you know, that old, you know, 1980s version of, of pro-life witnessing where, like you said, you're yelling baby killer. I have some choice words for those who push the abortion agenda. Steve, I'm not going to lie to you. As, as far I. as the women going in, I've seen, I've seen turnarounds. It, 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 there's nothing that, there's nothing that makes you, moves your soul more than a woman who's going to walk into an abortion clinic who you see turn around because of the love and compassion of another person who's doing what you say, Stephen. They're making the they're making the arguments very lovingly, very charitably, very compassionately, and many women turn around. Unfortunately, not all, but that's something that you know. That's why we have this pro life movement to to hopefully someday end abortion. But speaking of those arguments, Joe Resinello, I know you wanted to get into a couple. We have a, a few minutes before the first break, um, and then we can talk about some more on the other side of the break. Well, 
we always try to reach out to the average guy. I mean, this is uh, the front line. And frankly, Joe and I are average guys. And frankly, most Catholics are just normal people. If you were going to give a 30-second summary of your pro-life uh, like, like witness, that argument, what would it be? Because I think that's like sometimes if people grasp that, I think they grasp a lot. Yeah, in, in my book, we ha I make a big fuss about this. So uh, my experience is that the opportunity to defend the pro-life position is common. It usually arises unexpectedly, and you often get one chance to make your your case. So you have to make it count. And if you can make that 30-second, you know, articulate, respectful, persuasive argument, you have a chance to win hearts. And if you're unprepared, even worse, <laughs> you might waste your only opportunity. So my summary goes like this. And I, I say, I put it's in the book. And I say, you know, use this one, memorize it, be able to use it or, or make your own or modify mine, whatever works for you. But this is the one I have. It says, I'm pro-life because I'm pro-science. There's overwhelming scientific consensus that life begins at conception. And I'm pro-life because social justice begins in the womb. Because every living human being is entitled to the most fundamental right, that being life itself. Because being a burden on someone is never justification for killing them. And I'm pro-life because I'm pro-woman. Abortion degrades women, treating their fertility as a defect and enables men to use and abandon women at their most vulnerable. Abortion never empowers women, only the men who want to exploit them. And I'm pro-life because I'm against violence. Abortion is not only immoral, but is an act of extreme violence against the most vulnerable. I'm pro-life because of the visible evidence, because ultrasound and now MRI clearly show to the world what's moving inside a woman's body, a living baby. And lastly, I'm pro-life because of objective morality. If abortion is the killing, of an unborn child, then it's immoral and cowardly to remain silent. And that's why I'm pro-life. And then I usually say, and why aren't you? And invariably, the person you're talking to will be stunned into silence because they're not prepared to articulate even the small, vague arguments they have. You might, they might, you know, spit out an attack, maybe, but usually my experience is they have nothing to say. So I think it's really important. We have this 30, I call it 30 seconds. I think mine is like more like 40 seconds, but this 30 second summary. So you can make your case. You get a chance to do it. Make your case. Dr. Stephen Christie is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. And that's amazing, Steve. Uh, the book is speaking for the unborn 30 second pro-life rebuttals for pro-choice arguments. You know what I think is most cutting there is if you're talking to, again, we're talking about one-on-one, -on -one, talking about individual people. What you just said, the feminist, the feminist leadership, the radical feminist leadership in this country, okay, they know every argument you just said. They know everything you just said is true, and they don't care. I don't care how judgmental that sounds. I've been following feminism since I first became politically minded back in the 90s, okay, ladies and 90s. They don't care. Particularly, Stephen, what I found powerful in your 40-second elevator pitch was the the argument about the exploitation of women they cannot argue against that okay how many women have abortions that don't want abortions because a man forces them to have one okay yet they don't want to admit that but if you tell that to it again one-on-one -on -one, you know to a woman who might actually be in that position you could like i said you like you said you could turn them around joe racinello what else does uh stephen christie argue for uh what other arguments are there? Well, what's the, what's your toughest pro-choice argument to rebut? Because obviously people are going to come at you. Um, what, what's the toughest one? Well, as your partner there pointed out, there are really not many arguments for them to make. You know, so the typical arguments they make about when life begins or what's alive or what's a person or what's a human being, th those are all debates the pro-choice movement lost a long time ago. The only real argument to have the debate left to have has to do with, you know, balancing a mother's right to control her body, you know, her, her bodily integrity or her autonomy and the unborn child's right to not be killed. And really the question then for them is when does a living baby's life, you know, matter enough to burden a woman who's pregnant? And, and, and when we're comparing the rights of a baby and the rights of the mother, you have to, you know, analyze what are the actual rights you're talking about. And for the mother, it's her right to a certain lifestyle and her temporary inconvenience, even significant inconvenience, versus the baby's right to not be killed, the right to life. And these two rights, you know, lifestyle versus life itself are simply, you know, not equal in moral weight. Life always trumps lifestyles. And that's, so that's the only discussion legitimately they can have, but in the end, they lose even that one argument they have. Because in the end, they're really just, as, as Joe was saying, the other Joe <laughs> was saying, um, that, all they really 
ultimately believe in is that sex should be without consequences. And they're willing to do just about anything, even kill the unborn to preserve that, that goal. And we just don't believe that being a burden on someone uh, is ever justification for killing them. No, ab- absolutely. I mean, I mean, that, and that's something that we have to hammer home in this culture war that we're in. Abortion, which is central to that culture war, has to be defeated. We're gonna, we want to talk a little bit too after we come back from the break about the contraceptive mentality that leads to abortion. If that's okay, Dr. Stephen Christie joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosinello, the book that Dr. Christie wrote, speaking for the unborn. 30-second pro-life rebuttals to pro-choice arguments. You're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, um, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. Stick around. we got another segment with Dr. Stephen Christie. We'll be right back. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Way, way, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We are having a great conversation with Dr. Stephen Christie, and we're talking about his new book, Speaking for the Unborn, 30-Second Pro-Life Rebuttals to Pro-Choice Arguments. Joe Resinello, where are we headed? Well, on the other side of the break, we talked about how sex plays a part in this, you know, dilemma that we're in, that we see in America. I've always said this, the abortion argument has to do with sex. And you said this rightly, Steve, in my view, people want to have sex without consequences. It's about pleasure. And you will not take away my pleasure. You see, science, as you said, abortion is uh, being pro-life is pro-science. I love that. And I'm going to use it. Um, They can't talk the science anymore because the science shows that it's life it's obviously a life it's they don't even go there anymore it's basically i want to have sex and have no accountability and as we all know i have five kids when you have sex there's a shot at having a kid it's the way it works people knew that when they lived in caves how has the cultural revolution and obviously the you know uh the use it's prolific of contraception, even in the Catholic world, clearly, let's be honest, Catholics contracept, they're not supposed to, but they do. How has that played into this? Well, I'm not a, 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 a educated philosopher, but really, I think if you go back, it has to do with, uh, you know, unfettered liberalism as, as the highest good that in, you know, when our country was founded on, on liberalism, there was this implicit constraint that, you know, autonomy or individual autonomy was, was never absolute, but was constrained by a sense of duty and responsibility. Um, and that there were basic fundamental moral truths that constrained our human behaviors um, that, you know, rights had corresponding responsibilities. And we've, when you, within this now new sex without consequences, it's again, it's, it's a me, me, me culture. And if you're having sex without consequences, not only is contraception required, but abortion is required as well, because as, as we know, contraception will fail eventually, which is why, you know, 25% of women have had an abortion. Um, and contraception, as you said, just teaches that, that life is about pleasing and pleasuring ourselves. And as we all know, the mantra of today's modern secular culture is self, self, self. 
um, you know, it's finding yourself and expressing yourself and being true to yourself and self-esteem and taking selfies of your tuna fish sandwich, you know, for lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me. And, and the, the pro-life movement, you know, and, and cons- conservatism and Christianity is, is also about the self, but in a radically different way, you know, it's about selflessness and, and self-sacrifice and, and self-denial and self-control and self giving it's about losing yourself in the service of others that your life isn't about you and and the consequences of this contraception mentality of self 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 pleasure you know as we've as we've all seen and and every statistic is out there to show it is is has been disastrous the, the degrading of women the infantilizing of men the destruction of marriage as the you know the foundation and bedrock of family and society the loss of stable families the the crisis of absent fathers you know suicide rates uh, increasing uh, you know uh, addiction rates drug use rates infertility sexually transmitted I mean, there's a million million ways we can identify it and they're all disastrous you know was, you was said some this- I, I just want to touch on something you said, Joe, because I think it's very important. Um, originally, when you talked about your your approach, you don't bring in religion. And I think that's smart. I actually knew a, a Jesuit who used to argue very effectively about the existence of God without using the word God. He also had a physics background. He would talk about basically how things basically start. They have to have a, some type of foundational-like spark very effective and i think that's very smart on your part but you talked about something that is absolutely a foundational brick of catholicism and following jesus christ is selflessness willingly die to self and you see this is the missing link in the argument if i don't believe in god i am not going to live that way i look at myself there is no way, Steve, I'm telling you this right now, that I would live in a cape and have five kids if I wasn't Catholic and believed in Christ. I would live in a fancy house and have fancy cars if I'd have two kids, maybe. It changes my perspective of life and how I live and my goals. And this is what's not there. And that's why the two sides don't understand each other. Because Christ animates our life. He gives us meaning, and he frankly helps us to live in the manner that you said. I'd like you to talk about that, because as you were saying that, you didn't mention the word God or being Catholic, but I can clearly tell that you are. Yeah, so so I'm a crazy Catholic. I, I oh, I'm uh, crazy. I, I, yeah, I go, oh, I go, join I, the club, Doctor Stephen. Yeah, I, yeah, join the club. Yeah. yeah, I go to daily mass. I do a daily rosary. I play the Angelus every day. Yeah, I'm, I'm a wacky Catholic. Uh, it's the best thing that ever happened to me in my life, um, and it it is who I am and transforms everything that I do. Um, you know, and when society has modern society has thrown away religion, it's thrown away all the good that religion has done. And, you know, religion is what forms society. And when you throw away that, I, I always I always say to my atheist friends and family, I say, you all should be preserving religion as fiercely as I do. Even if you don't believe it's true, it's the source of all goodness in our society. And if you throw away religion, all that goodness is going to go away. You know, and, and they can rely on government institutions to, to, to do some of these things. But, you know, when the Catholic Church, you know, feeds 7 million people today, um, I, you know, United Way might do some great things, but they're not going to feed 7 million people today. So if you want 7 million people fed, you better support the church, even if you're a rabid atheist. Um, and in, with respect to the pro-life movement, I say if you're speaking with a religious person, and there's plenty of religious people who I've come across that are, are pro-choice, sadly, you know, have those religious discussions. And, and the, the Catholic position is very, very clear on that subject, you know, and, and for wacky Catholics, you know, and I, I've been taught, you know, before you do anything in the apostolic, you know, world and, and you know, pray you know, make sacrifices like, you know, we, we don't eat meat on Fridays, make sacrifices. And then the third thing is take action, you know, and, and I found in the, for my Catholic friends in the Catholic world, that's, that's my approach. You know, I, there's a, a dear friend of mine who's a priest. He says, you know, he has a, he sort of says it tongue in cheek, but he says, you know, your efforts are 50% prayer, 35% sacrifice for somebody, you know, don't put sugar in your coffee today and, and offer it up for, for that person you're doing, you're trying to con- convert. And then 15% go out, and do the actual and the action itself, you know, and of course me, like a lot of people, we want to run out and do the action without the other things first. So we should arm ourselves first, but that's if you're dealing with the religious people. But the fact is the vast overwhelming majority of abortion advocates are secular liberals who think 
that the religious are unsophisticated, unthinking, and brainwashed, backward, and intolerant. And if you're debating a non-religious person, which is almost all the people you're debating, and you've made 10 really compelling arguments for protecting the unborn, but then you happen to throw in the word God or sanctity of life or sin or the Bible, well, you'll see the face of the person you're talking with dramatically and instantaneously change, and you can read their mind, and they're saying this to themselves. They're saying, oh, 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 I, oh, oh so sorry. I hadn't realized you're a freak. Have a nice day. And then every rational, non-religious argument you made just goes out the window. So I've learned that religious making religious arguments to the vast majority of people you're talking with is handing your opponent a huge club with which to beat you over the head. So Dr. we have Steven, so, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. So I'm sorry, Stephen. Go ahead. So I was saying, so we have so many compelling non-religious arguments that that powerfully explain why abortion is wrong. I say we stick to them. We want to talk about some of those arguments. Maybe we'll do a little <laughs> rapid fire here. Dr. Stephen Christie joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Speaking for the Unborn is the book that Dr. Stephen Christie wrote, 30-second pro-life rebuttals to pro-choice arguments. Before we move on, Dr. Stephen Christie, where can folks buy the book? So it's on Amazon.com, uh, Speaking for the Unborn. But there's a great resource that, that I put together. Uh, it's a website, speakingfortheunborn.org, speakingfortheunborn.org. It has uh, teaching videos I put together. It has uh, photographs of embryos and fetuses. So when someone says to you, you know, it's only a clump of cells at 12 weeks, you can show them a beautiful picture of a baby at 12 weeks and say, did you know this is what it looks like? And, and you know, those the, sometimes we let the, the baby speak for themselves and, and they move people to tears. There's animations by uh, Anthony Levitino of the various abortion procedures so they can actually see what a, an abortion is without actually having to, to witness one, which is even the animations are very, very difficult to, to watch. So it's a fantastic resource. You can get through, through the book through that as well, and which also can through the, through the publisher. Excellent. Uh, Dr. Stephen Christie, I want to ask you a question, okay? I know that um, we had a few of the arguments, and we're going to get into those, okay? We have plenty of time, but I, I have one I want to ask you. Does it seem to you, and I'm not asking you to agree with me, Dr. Stephen Christie, but I just want to say, does it seem to you that the language employed to dehumanize the human person in the womb is the same language that was used, let's say, to justify in some on some level um, the the persecution and the murder of the Jews during the Holocaust or the the uh, modern day or or modern age slavery, chattel slavery, to justify, let's say, the enslavement of of the of the Africans that were taken into slavery. Um, do you find that there's parallel arguments and that if you point this out to pro-choice people, the same language, the dehumanizing language that is used, um, do you do you see that from the other side? No, absolutely. So personhood is one of the classic arguments. It's not a person. It's not a person. It's not a person. You know, if you're not sure what a person is, go look up, just get your Merriam-Webster's dictionary and a person is a human being. It's pretty clear what a person is. And whenever you hear that argument, you know what its purpose is. It serves no purpose, as you say, other than to exclude or marginalize or subjugate a class that, that is considered, you know, undesirable. And history, as you say, is littered with examples of how personhood has been used to, as a weapon to de deny the most fundamental rights of life and liberty to, to these undesirable you know, people, uh, whether it was blacks or women or Jews, <coughs> excuse me, or immigrants, and the list goes on. And so we now say it's time for the unborn to also escape this victimization. You know, social justice is, is and, I, and I get this, uh, social justice begins in the womb. I wanna throw out one little point. I, I always try to do this during these interviews. My book, almost nothing in my book is really completely original with me. These are wonderful arguments by many, 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 experts in the field. And in the book, I every time I make an argument, I list the sizes, the sources, and additional readings that they've come from. And even on these interviews, when I say things like this, I just want to make sure people know that I'm not claiming I'm some brilliant guy who's come up with all these arguments on my own. For instance, the, the term social justice begins in the womb is a, is a fantastic uh, title of a book that's out there that's worth your reading. Excellent. Joe Racinello, I'm handing it over to you. I want to talk about the straw man argument of rape and incest. Obviously, that's always thrown out there. We hear that all the time. Whenever the pro-life movement moves forward, that one gets thrown out. But before you give your response, I want to comment on something you said, because it was so important. And this is why I know you know what you're talking about. Steve, I'm going to be very honest with you. If, if I'm anything, I'm honest. You get it. And I want people to buy this book because you get it. And I'm going to tell you how I know you get it. 
you said everything is in prayer and fasting and sacrifice. It's like an iceberg. We only see the top. But a person who's doing God's work, you don't know what's under it. People call contemplatives. It's like a volcano. And on top of the volcano is just a field of snow. You don't see what's under it. That's how I know you're, what you're talking about. I'm going to be honest with you. And that's why people should buy this book. That's the secret. And that's what I told Joe Pasillo when we started the show. We have to get holy we have to pray. And the holier we get, the better the show will be. And that's how I know you know what you're talking about because you nailed it. You nailed it. Now tell us how we respond to people when they say it's a rape and incest thing. Isn't abortion justified? Well, this is, this is a really, really common argument. And the first thing I would just say as a caveat is this is a very sensitive topic. It's usually thrown up by people who are trying to stick it to you. But sometimes you're going to be, you know, you're going to be, uh, confronted by somebody who was raped. And so certainly, you know, we have all these snarky replies that we can to do, but always be sensitive and compassionate and kind, especially with this argument. So what I usually say is there's a couple things, a couple options that you can say. But the first I say is, you know, the extremely rare case of rape and incest, which is about one half of 1% of abortion cases is amongst the most common arguments made. And it's a, an attempt to take the exceptional case and somehow say it applies to all cases, which is faulty logic because we don't make laws based on the exceptional case. And I tell people, if your argument, if your argument against abortion uh, for abortion is rape and incest, which is, accounts for less than 0.5% of all abortions, then can I assume that you're willing to join me in opposing the other 99.5% of cases? You know, I say, wow, we share common ground. We're both pro-life, and you know, over 90. 5% of abortions. And that usually stops them and makes them think in their tracks about those are for the people who are, you know, really using it as a way to stick it to you. Um, the, the real answer is, um, I apologize. Okay. So the, the real answer is we say that the violence of abortion is no solution for the violence of rape. You know, where else do we solve one horrible thing with, a, with another horrible thing, right? And a child is a child regardless of the circumstances of its conception. You know, the calculus is simple. If it's not a human life, you can do whatever you want with it. But if it's a human life, you can't do anything to it because solutions based on the killing of innocent human beings are never okay. And that, that's the real answer to the question. That's the compassionate answer. Uh, you know, interestingly, and, and, and I get a lot of people yelling at me, and you guys feel free to be in, the, in that crowd. You know, I'm a guy who believes in incrementalism. So there's a lot of people who are like, you know, I, no abortion, no abortion, no abortion, or I won't have the discussion. Well, for me, you know, if, if, if I can get it down to 12 weeks, that's a great start. And if I can get it down to then I'll go for eight weeks, and then I'll go for six weeks, and then I'll go for four weeks to try to slowly get to where I want to be. And if I had to allow an exception for rape and incest to win my battle right now, you know, depending how it's structured so that you don't have to just say, oh, yeah, I was raped and I can get an abortion wherever I want. You know, that's something I would consider as a path on the way to zero abortion. But again, this is this is it's an issue that is that is used for manipulation. But it's also women raised by issues by by women who have been raped. So we have to be very cautious and, and, and compassionate when we discuss this. No, absolutely. Dr. Stephen Christie joining us in the front line with Joe and Joe. Look, Doc, we're all abortion abolitionists, every one of us. Mm -hmm. But when you're getting nothing. For, for however many decades, politically, judicially, you know, where we get, you know, as pro-life people, no babies are being saved. No states could pass a law that restricts abortion. You know what I mean? Let's say up until recently. Then, I, you know, again, I, on one level, I'm not an incrementalist. In other words, I, I want abortion to be abolished. On the other level, I am because I say, well, we got to be realistic. We, we have to we have to not take what we can get. I don't want to make it seem like that. But we, we, we you know, it's like a football game. You don't score the touchdown just on one play. Maybe sometimes you do, but you, you get first downs, first downs, first downs. In baseball, you just get base hits, base hits. You know, Texas law, Mississippi law, challenging Roe versus Wade. We have to you, we have to look at it and keep it all in perspective. Nobody wants abortion abolished in America more than the three guys talking to the Veritas Catholic Network radio audience right now. But we have to save lives in the process, and we and we can do that. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. You no, know, until and I will say, let's get into some legal, uh, some of your uh, the the uh, the legal aspect of this. Okay, until we have a Supreme Court that's got the stones to say that the, all human beings have a right to life, ergo uh, th that abortion is abolished in America, which I don't see on the horizon. Let's be again realistic. All right, um, until we have that, abortion is not going to be abolished like that. There is a common argument that says you cannot impose your beliefs on others. Now, I want to make an argument to you, Dr. Stephen Christie, and I want to ask you where I'm wrong, okay? I'll make it very, very brief, okay? All law is an imposition on, from one group on another. And those laws that what that same group does not or may not agree with um, is going to restrain their behavior in some way, okay? Therefore, if you make that argument, you don't believe in the law. What's wrong with my argument? Um, well, first of all, you're, you're right. We're always imposing, you know, I, I, usually the argument is made um, that we should never impose our morality. I get that all the time. You know, who, are, who am I to impose my morality on somebody else? And you're right with, with you know, with uh, critical moral issues like rape and child abuse and murder and theft, we're always imposing our moral code to best guide their actions. Um, and so it's our job to say that just like rape and and child molestation and theft and, and abuse and murder, these are unconscionable acts that we will not only, will, not only will we impose our, our morality on you, we'll throw you in jail if you commit them. And we have to put, we have to include in that list abortion. So we have to say, yes, we're gonna impose our views on you. We're gonna oppose that morality because it's unconscionable otherwise uh, to allow that to, to, to continue. And then you get that same argument with, with these, you know, pro so-called pro, um, life politicians that say, who am I to, you know, I'm, I'm pro-life, but who am I to impose my views? Mm. And again, again, you know, we're talking about views that should be morally repugnant to every human being, you know, and, and the classic argument people say all the time is, uh, again, this is not original with me, but he says, can, can you imagine someone saying, you know, I'm personally, personally, I'm anti-slavery. I personally, I am, I would never have a slave, but if you want a slave or two, you know, that's your own business. I would never impose my views on you, you know, or, you know, um, you know, and when I'm feeling snarky and I'm, and I'm, and I'm always tempted to say, oh, by the way, I'm personally against wife beating, but you know, if, if it's that's your, your cup of tea, but yeah, we're always imposing our views and this is our views that need to be imposed because the opposing view is repugnant. It's not a matter that's of right. deciding. It's not, a, it's not, a, you know, do you like vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream? That's, it's not, those are not a subject to it. Those are subject to, to opinions. This is not, you know, child Absolute abuse, right. child abuse, murder, rape are unacceptable. This is also unacceptable. Dismembering a, a living human baby is unacceptable. It's repugnant, morally wrong. Period. Dr. Stephen Christie, that's that's a phenomenal answer. Um, we're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. <clears throat> excuse me. And we have Dr. Stephen Christie talking about his new book, Speaking for the Unborn, 32nd Pro-Life Rebuttals to Pro-Choice Arguments. Joe R., what's happening? I want to talk a little bit and shift gears because I think it's important. Um, Dobbs versus Jackson potentially can overturn Roe. And then obviously the fight continues because it's going to go to the states. You just saw in New Jersey, they just passed a law basically cementing abortion into, uh, you know, the state, irregardless of Roe. California is talking about being a sanctuary state for abortion. So the fight goes on, obviously, at the states where it began. But what I want to talk about is this. Having children costs money. Let's be honest. And our culture, especially Americanism, you know, is geared towards two kids. It's just geared towards that. That's the and that's the way people think. I mean, being Catholic, we have to be open to life. And if you're open to life, you're gonna have kids. I mean, it's just the way the math works. Um, how can we encourage? Um, our society and culture to, to be for big families. I mean, Steve, you got five kids. You know what that's about. I mean, the sacrifices, uh, you know, it's, it's no lie. You know, how we, we you know, the, it's a different shift here, but we got to think like that, you know, and frankly, we got to convince our legislators to think like it. You know, absolutely. My, my wife who's much brighter than I am. Um, she talks about the fact that we need to rebuild what she calls an authentic human anthropology. Um, and that everything that is good in this world and moral in this world hangs together. So when, when, when we want an, an authentic, good, true, virtuous human anthropology, that requires traditional 
marriage between a man and a woman, and it requires them to be open to life, and it requires the family structure to teach morality and virtue. Um, it requires religious freedom. It requires um, that we fight the good fight on on these pressing social issues that that are opposed to this authentic human anthropology, be it gender ideology or assisted suicide or euthanasia. Um, we have to you know, dispel the myth of overpopulation. And we need to teach the world that, that our, this world is suffering from a, 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 from, you know, again, I don't say this, we're in a religious context, what we're talking about, but you know, in the, in this context, I say we're suffering a crisis of, of saints. We don't have enough saints in this world. In the secular world, I say we don't have enough, you know, wonderful young men and women of virtue out there ready to take care of the world. Um, and so when I see a family of five or more kids, I say, you know, fantastic. The world needs wonderful young men and women that are going to go out there, rush out there and take care of the world. That love, as you say, to go out there and, and take care of the rest of the world. Um, and large families are, are teach, you know, when you grow up in a large family, you know this from your own children, it teaches patience, it teaches selflessness, it teaches compassion, and that's what the world needs. So it's, it's this, all the factors that, that are promoting this authentic human anthropology. Excellent. I have a question. You're just anti-woman. Now, my question, Dr. Stephen Christie joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, was Nellie Gray, anti-woman, Phyllis Schlafly, um, any of the, 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 the women giants of the pro-life movement? It bothers me beyond belief when feminists say that because then they suggest that people like uh, Dr. Gracie um, and Joe's wife and my wife, who are sisters, like somehow they're not authentic women because they're pro-life. So that bothers me on that level. But what's your argument about you're just anti-woman? Yeah, there's like three separate arguments that come up about men being bad. And the first is this anti-woman one. And I say when, they, when I'm called anti-woman, I say, look, I'm, I'm not anti-woman at all. I'm just anti-killing. In fact, since nearly 400,000 baby girls are aborted each year in the U.S. alone, my position is fiercely pro-woman. Um, and that's my, again, we're trying to do these things in 30 seconds. Um, the other thing we get is, like you pointed out with our wives, that this is the, the pro-life movement is just men subjugating women. Uh, and, and I point out three facts. I say, you know, it's nonsense. I said, first, opinion polls show that men are actually less opposed to abortion than women, right? Because we can abuse and exploit women with it. Second, the overwhelming majority of pro-life workers and volunteers are women, not men. And thirdly, as you know, the leaders of nearly every national pro-life group is a woman. So the idea that it, the pro-life movement is a, you know, some weapon used by men is pure fiction. And the last thing on the men issue is what I get a lot is, you know, no uterus, you know, no, no opinion. So men shut up. This is a woman's issue and a man can't, you know, talk. And, and in, in today's social justice environment, you know, I echo the words of Martin Luther King and, and Abraham Lincoln, that it would be cowardly and immoral to permit anyone to silence you on critical moral issues based on your skin color or, or your religion or your sex, and that you don't have to be black to fight slavery, and you don't have to be a Jew to fight Nazism, and you don't have to be a woman to oppose the killing of children. And, and any argument to the contrary is bigoted, it's racist, and it's sexist. And people quickly quickly get quiet when you when you say those things to them. Right, they get quiet because everything you just said is true. <laughs> and, and, and it forces people, many of your arguments, Dr. Stephen Christie, strike me, that it forces people to have to look in the mirror and really examine whether or not they actually believe these things. Like, again, I know the leadership doesn't, um, but I'm talking about the rank and file, you know, um, average woman who's imbibed this, this garbage, okay, um, and believe it, it forces them to have to question their beliefs, and that's a good thing. Plants to seed with them. Put this, you know, what you're saying, your 30-second arguments, um, you know, plants a seed, and, and God willing, one heart at a time, as we said earlier, is going to be transformed. Joe Racinello, we probably have about a minute and a half. Let's get one more in before... Before we have to, uh, before we have to say goodbye to Dr. Christie. Well, you mentioned Dr. Martin Luther King, and and he was a man of God, and clearly, he would not be for the killing of black children, and abortion. This is something that's never talked about. Abortion exponentially affects the black population in America. In fact, most Planned Parenthood clinics are in walking distance from minority neighborhoods. Please talk about that because no one does. And they talk about social justice. That doesn't sound like social justice to me. 
Doc, we have about one minute left just to give you a heads up. Yeah, so Planned Parenthood, as we know, was founded by Margaret Sanger, who wanted to eliminate what she called indiscriminate breeding by minorities, who she called human weeds. And um, and her dreams have, have been supported by Planned Parenthood ever since. You know, it's the number one killer of, of black lives in America today, more than violence, more than heart disease uh, combined. And black babies are aborted at five times the rate of whites. In New York, more babies are killed in the womb than are born. And uh, as you said, 79% of Planned, Parent, Parent, Planned Parenthood centers are located in minor, my minority neighborhoods. If that's not systemic racism, I don't know what is. I, I, I can't understand how, how we don't hammer home that argument. In other words, the way they throw, they actually call people racist in, in America simply because they might be conservative and support conservative economic policies, let's say. Oh, you're racist, okay. This is real racism. When you're, yeah. when you're setting up shop in minority <laughs> communities, okay, how we are not from the rooftops screaming at them, you're racist because you're targeting black and brown babies. I don't know how we let them get away with it. Dr. Stephen Christie, uh, 20 seconds. Where can people buy the book and find out more about the work you're doing? Speaking for the Unborn on Amazon or speakingfortheunborn.org, the website, and has fantastic resources for anybody interested in, in, in working in the pro-life movement. I'm grateful for your time, both of you. I had a wonderful experience here. Thank you. Dr. Stephen Christie, we want to thank you for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. And thank you all out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And if you don't mind, help Joe, Joe and I out on social media. Join our website, thefrontlinetv.com, thefrontlinetv.com. We'd really appreciate your support. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.